This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, it's producer Rog here, just hijacking your off-script podcast feed for a special edition of this. Living on a prior, paying homage to the greatest albums of all time. This week on Living on a Prior, we're going off script, we're going a bit rogue. Um, we're going to do a special on record producers, because over the weeks when we've looked at classic albums, we've touched on ones that have kind of come together with a great deal of contribution from the producers behind them. You know, we, we talked about Dr. Dre last week. He's a producer and artist. We've mentioned Rick Rubin a few times. He's, of course, produced people like Jay-Z, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Johnny Castle right across the spectrum. George Martin, of course, famous for producing the Beatles. You can't mention Radiohead without mentioning Neil Godrick. Motown, the sound comes from Berry Gordy, the producer. You've got Jeff Lynne, Trevor Horn, Tony Visconti. And These are course, all names. And, of course, script comes from... Producer Roger Pryor. That's what I'm leaning towards. I knew you were leaning towards that. So is this an ode to producers? (laughs) It's an ode to... (laughs) Let's be be clear, record producers. Because they're all names that you might have heard of and they're deeply respected and revered in the industry. But they aren't managers or artists, they're the producers. They're the people who bring it all together. You know what they are? They're the equivalent of, in Hollywood, the writers. Indeed, Rob. Right, never get the credit. Yep. It's the actors that waltz up there and get all the credit. Well, there is the Writers Guild, is there not? Yeah, but come on, it's the actors that, that steal all the limelight you from get, these the wonderfully books. gifted yeah, but screenplays. They're the ones that have got to sell it. I'm not taking anything away from wonderfully talented writers here, but you can write something that's on a piece of paper. It's Leonardo DiCaprio and the Revenant that brings it to life, that makes us cry or laugh it's the I'm not taking anything away from the writer but mm-hmm. it's words on a piece of paper it's the actor who brings it to life Robbie Greenfield back to you my friend oh okay oh, behind the actor's studio with Chris well, that's another conversation which we won't get into right now <laughs> so anyway I thought I'd reach out to a producer uh, to see if we could get an insight into what a producer does and what a producer is so I'm going to introduce you to a man called Sean Beaven he's a producer a mixer engineer writer multi-instrumentalist from Cleveland Ohio and he is a scholar of music of producers and music history um, he's got four decades of experience in the industry is responsible for it's it's kind of like the American industrial rock pop metal sound. He's produced a lot of people from Guns N' Roses to No Doubt to Marilyn Manson and the Nine Inch Nails. And he told me that from a young age listening to his parents' records and reading the sleeve notes, he started getting into the names on all of those sleeve notes and digging deep to find out kind of what those designations were, what the engineer meant, what the producer meant and what they did, uh, and started homing in on, you know, the people behind the music that he loved, paying attention to those names. He found an affinity for producers like Todd Rundgren because of the sound of the music that they produced. Uh, we'll talk more a, a bit uh, about Todd in a, in a few minutes' time. And another producer that stood out for him was a guy called Bob Erin, who produced, amongst others, Pink Floyd's The Wall. I loved the way his stuff sounded. I loved the way he could he could bring disparate elements into something like something as hard rock as Alice Cooper, where it should you'd think it would just be guitars and and screaming vocals or whatever. But he brought in horns and strings, and he made it all work, you know. And it and it just enhanced the journey of it all. And then it's how the heck do I do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, and I just I kind of followed other producers, started figuring stuff out, and and I really decided that Todd Rudgren was the journey that I wanted to follow. Like the idea of being a musician, 
um, writing songs, you know, doing stuff on your own for yourself and then helping other musicians achieve their goals as well. So he started as a musician at nine years old, started learning guitar. Then he started engineering the sound of the bands when, that he was in when they were playing gigs in small venues, which obviously led to bigger venues and gave him an understanding of how sounds works. Uh, and then he got work in a local studio and out of hours, he brought in bands that he was associated with, one of those being Nine Inch Nails. And he kind of learns on the job, working and experimenting in the studio with a band, found out that he loved, as he put it, being on the other side of the glass from the musicians. Uh, you'll actually hear him on the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Chris, I know you're a fan. Oh, big fan. He plays bass on Hungry Eyes. Uh, does he really? Yeah, does he? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Amongst other things, but that's one one. No one puts baby in the corner, Roger. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> you're quite right. Um, yeah, but he's best known as a producer. And um, I put, it, put the question to him, what is a producer? To, to describe it, he took me back to an early session when he was working with a British punk producer, Mark Ellis, a.k.a. A flood on Nine Inch Nails, the Downward Spiral album. He took me through producer school while we were doing that. And I think his definition is great. It's like you're a transparent sounding board <laughs> for the artist. You want to be able to empathize with what the musician wants to accomplish. And he trusts your judgment because he's heard some of the other things you've done. So he knows that your taste is what he wants, you know? So he uses you as a taste filter. It's like he plays something for you and says, is that cool? And and you can say, that's cool, or that's not cool, or this, it could be cool if it does this, you know what I mean? And so it's like, the so the musician and songwriter has, a, has someone they can trust to kind of bounce things off of, you know? It's hard in working um, in art without any anyone to tell you you know what's good and what's not because you lose focus i think you know when you're when you're doing it yourself like you know every every great author has an editor that they trust you know what i mean and it's also your job to kind of know what the artist wants to achieve and then be able to tell them when they've achieved it you know uh, and yeah. or when they're not achieving it and how they could go about like doing things to make it better you know especially in performances like a, a vocal performance or a guitar performance or a drum performance you you have the technical know-how to make things sound the way they want it to sound and you have the musical knowledge to know when the song is right so I found that interesting in, and it reminded me of a story which we've mentioned on this before, which was um, Rick Rubin who worked with the Red Hot Chili Peppers on Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic and the fact that if it wasn't for Rick Rubin, we wouldn't have um, Under the Bridge because Anthony Kiedis had just written it as a poem yeah, that's right. and wasn't intending on turning it into a song, wasn't intending on recording it until Rick Rubin saw it, looked at the words and thought, that looks interesting, sing it to me. And he said, well, it hasn't got a melody, it hasn't got anything. And so Rick Rubin encouraged him, they came up with the melody for it and then they played it to the band and then the band recorded it. So it was that, that idea of just somebody that they're comfortable with in the studio that can encourage these great ideas out of them and just you know manipulate the art and make it on the page, in that yeah. case, onto a record. Um, and 90% of the producer's role is that collaboration, bringing out the best in musicians. A sporting analogy would be a coach manager, right? Well, on that point then, Rose, do you think you get the best out of us? <laughs> it's a work in progress, I like Chris. how you keep bringing it back to <laughs> of us. Of course, just because I'm like, uh-huh. resonating so no, He's talking yeah. about 90% of it is bringing the best out of the artist, and I'm keen to know, does Rose yeah, That feel? was a resounding no, by the way. I'll translate <laughs> to him. A work in progress means nah. nah. 
still struggling to get the best out of you. And he's, he's probably wondering to himself, is there anything to get out of you? <laughs> you know, have, I, have I got the best I can? You've uh, maxed out. <laughs> yeah, I think Absolutely. I probably have, in all keep, honesty. Keep going to the well. Um, so, uh, yeah, and with that in mind, I kind of, uh, that collaboration, you know, you've got a musician and a producer. I, I wanted to know if, as a producer, being a musician was a, a nice to have or a need to have um it's definitely a nice to have for sure i don't know if it's actually a need to have because there are some producers that are like a like a terry date who is really an engineer at heart you know and he, and he produces he knows how to how to put a record together he knows how to interface with record labels you know he knows how to mix things and make them sound good um and he knows how to give space to the to the musicians to do their thing um, but it is really nice to have musical knowledge so that you can help and help a musician um, even get beyond what they're capable of doing. You know what I mean? You can help show them the way. Um, and a lot of times with, you know, if you're a producer and especially in the rock field, um, you might know technical terms and stuff like that, but the band doesn't. So the mm. technical stuff isn't important, but what's important is to convey the, you know, the right stuff to get them to where they want to get like and, and sometimes that's just as simple as like oh if you want it to sound like this when you're going from the verse to the bridge use this chord as a transition chord or whatever you know what i mean and it's something they wouldn't have thought of but when they when they hear it it's like that's exactly what i was thinking you know um i don't think anything great happens without synergy <laughs> You know, and it's like a lot of times, like in the old Nine Inch Nails stuff, the, a lot we have a piece of gear, and it's like we know how it's used. But the idea was figure out a way that it hasn't been used before, or maybe stress it and do what you're not supposed to do with it, and let's see what happens. <laughs> Trent and I used to go to uh, music stores, and we go through boxes of used pedals. And listen for ones that were broken <laughs> and had like a unique sound, you know, and we'd, we'd go like, that's the one it's, 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 that doesn't make any sense what it does with those knobs, but it's really cool, you know? Um, and that's, it's those kinds of things and being experimental. Um, I love the idea of when you're in a room with, with a bunch of creatives that there are no bad ideas. It's like, you can just, just riff, you know, S try something out. You know, see what happens, you know, yeah. you can't be afraid, you know, and, and you want to engender a atmosphere where people feel comfortable to just try stuff, you know, because that's when the cool stuff happens. Well, I can tell Sean that there are frequently bad ideas in our own little <laughs> off script meetings. So that's not the case, my friends. If you want to see some bad ideas, come to one of our lunchtime oh, meetings. Jeepers. <laughs> <laughs> but from bad ideas, good ideas can come. Uh, hence the little thing he was talking about, using those broken pedals. Trent that he's talking about there is Trent Reznor, who's, who's now, I mean, he's the Hollywood darling. He, he makes um, all sorts of soundtracks, but he started off in Nine Inch Nails as their kind of um, writer and uh, frontman. And he's just a fantastic musician, but also a brilliant composer. So I wanted to move on to talk about the types of producers. You know, could you categorise people? He did say that at risk of talking in broad brushstrokes, there are two distinct groups. There are some producers where they do a record and it's pretty. you pretty much know it's them because 
they, they put a very intense sonic footprint on something mm-hmm. like uh, Howard Benson, you know, who does like, you know, My Chemical Romance and that kind of stuff was like one of the biggest producers of the late 90s period, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And he, he had a, a uh, he has like a factory, <laughs> you know what I mean, where it's like everybody comes into a studio, they play the same drum set that's mic'd up the same way in the same room. Everybody plays the same guitars, the same amplifiers, the same, you know, it's going to sound like the last Howard Benson record. You know what you're going to get. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, for some artists, that's great. That's exactly what they want. They know that that's what they want to sound like. And they feel that their songs speak and their voices speak enough for them. But they know that they want that style of production. There are other people like a Nigel Godrich who's going to come in, listen to the band. They're going to record in a different space than the last record he's done with different microphones and different you know I mean, he he likes to just make things completely a new set of circumstances my thing is always with the artist you know make it sound like the artist but then again you know todd rudgren who i love every record he's produced he, he uses similar harmonies in the in the background vocals like it's kind of signature stuff but they all have that thing where they they find the thing that's great about the artist and that becomes the signature thing about the artist. You know, you listen to Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, you know, putting all that stuff together. You know, even though Jim Steinman is a songwriter, you know, the histrionics of the lyrics and how how the stuff all kind of sounded like musical theater. And then Todd would introduce like kind of his signature guitar sounds or you know the elements of the way the harmonies worked they took their new jersey thing and he kind of gave it a little bit of philly thing mm. so it's really cool it's so I, I love that producer wise you know like to me it's like if you have a little bit of signature that's great uh, as long as it doesn't overshadow the artist you know i don't really like producers where every artist sounds like the last artist they did yeah, and I think I reckon that's increasingly happening, don't yeah. you? Where the uh, yeah. producer is is essentially the creator more often than yes, not. Absolutely, yeah. And because he's had thirty years in the music industry, obviously it's a very different one from the one that he started working in. Uh, now anyone can pretty much make and produce, record an album or a song in their bedroom. So I asked him, as an elder statesman of the industry with over three decades in the field, where do record producers sit uh, in today's industry? And he said, like many other jobs, if you don't adapt, then you die. And he's one person that actually embraces the shift. This is like a kind of amazing time when you listen to an artist now, you can more than any other time, you can really hear what that artist wanted to say, right? Because there's less gatekeepers. You know, before it was like you had to like play your music, then you'd have to play it for an A&R guy, get to an A&R guy, <laughs> then play it for him. And then he would say like, oh, yeah, I think this is pretty good stuff. We should put you in a studio and let's give you a, you know, a, a producer, you know, who will help you f- shape your sound and you put it together. And, and so it kind of went in these steps, you know, up up the ladder, you know, and then when you finish the record, then they, they said, oh, you know, this is pretty good. I think I think we can sell this to radio or whatever. So they gave you money for marketing and then you boom, boom. Nowadays, it's like you, you can buy a laptop computer and with any one of like free DAWs, you can learn how to record your own stuff and make it sound the way you want it to and put it out, you know, like a Billie Eilish, you know, I mean, where it's just like literally the stuff is just recorded in the bedroom on a DAW, you know. Mm. Um, and you can create a style that's really all your own. And because it's not, in, you're not involving a whole lot of people. I mean, she involved her brother, but um, it's still like 
you really you get to hear that with an artist and and for me as a as a producer you know obviously um guys who are just record producers um there's less work for them in the industry now because there's so many people that can do that kind of work for them you know and so many artists out there you know they they've spent the 10,000 hours in front of the computer in their bedroom learning you know the stuff um <laughs> For producers like me, I'm lucky. I've always been an engineer, producer, mixer, so I can mix music too. So, and that's for me. That's my main step was to kind of step mostly to mixing, um, because mixing is one of those things that you know you really need to 10,000 hours, and you kind of have to have a certain predisposition for it anyway. Some people are brilliant at everything else, but mixing just is not what they can do you know it's a very uh it's almost a savant kind of art making making mixing right so he's carved a niche he's found his thing he's stuck at it listen he's still been doing it 30 years later and he's absolutely brilliant he's now working in soundtracks for films uh, he's done award-winning work in that field as well it was brilliant to talk to him he was sean beaven true scholar of the music industry the Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 